0: It is my honor to introduce our speaker uh, this morning. Uh, I'll tell you what the uh, the notes that we were given says is that he holds a BA in Bible from Abilene Christian University, which by the way he usually tells us don't tell anybody that. But uh, an MBS from from Bear Valley Bible Institute. He's published four books. He's been preaching since 1962. He currently preaches for the Conifer Church of Christ, which is uh, about 30 minutes west of here and about 3,500 feet higher than here. And and uh, he's done extensive uh, campaign work in Africa and the South Pacific. He is the director of the uh, campaigns that the students go on here with the Bible Institute. He's been with the Bible Institute since 1991. Um, teaches a number of classes. That's that's what this says. This is the this is the Oida kind of knowledge about. I'm gonna tell you the Ginosko kind of knowledge about Wayne. Now, you can't be around Wayne Berger and not be a better man. Um, He is... I had the honor when I was a student here of working with him up at Conifer. Um, I have uh, sat at his feet in many a sermon and many a Bible classes and every time I walk away thinking... I need to be better. <laughs> um, I love him so dearly, and he is one of my greatest role models, uh, one of the greatest examples to me that I have in my life. And I love him so dearly. And uh, so I know you're going to be blessed this morning because of his lesson. I told him I had the timer set up for 40 minutes, uh, which is technically what he has. But I said I'm not going to come get you. I'll listen to you preach all day if you want to. So I sh- I'm sure you'll feel the same way. So Wayne, come preach the word to us.
1: Thank you. After that introduction, it's going to be a letdown of what I say. (laughs) Uh, I do appreciate you being here. Uh, This is one of those sessions that's sort of uh, (coughs) uh, technical, intellectual, but uh, maybe not as practical. But uh, uh, it was one that was assigned me, and so I'm glad to... uh, uh to uh, speak on this subject. You do need to punch that button even if you're not gonna, there you go.. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, what I'm speaking on is uh, using one cup for communion uh, and also uh, kitchens in church buildings. Uh, that was the topic that were assigned me that said, hey, there, you teach these things. You won't find them in scriptures, but teach them anyway. You know? <laughs> and uh, So, uh, of course, I teach this hermeneutics here. And we spend a long time, and I speak a lot on the one cup issue and a lot on uh, uh, eating in church buildings and everything else that goes with it. Uh, and then they asked me, and I have like 20 minutes each uh, for those subjects. So uh, I think, how am I? And that really was my challenge to say, what can I do to sort of boil this down to one kind of key thought? And that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to speak on the uh, kitchens and church building first uh, and then move to uh, the one cup because I believe that there's a greater. Uh, issue in our brotherhood about uh, eating in church buildings and kitchens in church buildings than there is one cup. Uh, Those who study and do those kind of things say that 15 to 18 percent of our brotherhood is made up of uh, anti what we would say orphan's home cooperation uh, eating in church buildings. So that is a significant number really. 15 to 18% of our numbers. And of course, in some parts of the country, it's very prevalent such as Florida, uh, some places around Louisville, Kentucky, and some of those places, you really uh, get a lot of folks there who are um, uh, of that persuasion. I'm going to use the word anti, but I'm not really using it in a derogatory sense. I'm simply gonna be using it as a way of designating them and it just simply means that I, uh, you're against something that most folks or other folks are for. Uh, I, I do not mean, mean to degrade them in any way. These are honest, sincere brethren. They have deep convictions, many of them, about uh, these subjects. And I would not want to take anything away from that. Of course, there, uh, this issue is going and both those issues come out of First Corinthians 11. Uh, And that's one of the reasons uh, I was assigned this at this particular time is we're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm going to read verses 17 through (coughs) 22 and then I'll add another verse or two a little later. Uh, But verse 17 begins, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I will not praise you. We stop and look at that. What we're really going to see the issue here in Corinth is really not eating in a building. The issue is bringing about Division. That's the issue, and that fits perfectly with what uh, Dan taught us last night in terms the book is about division and about bringing about unity. That's the situation here. It's really not about eating, eating in that building. It was the division that was caused by them eating the way they were eating. He did not condemn them for eating in the building. He condemned them for the way they ate in the building. You see, as we stop and look at this phrase down here, What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Uh, Back up and let me also look at uh, uh, verse 21. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. The situation seems to be the rich folks who had plenty to eat, so much so they're full, maybe even getting drunk. And there are some folks there who have nothing and they eat nothing. It seems that they're not waiting for one another, they're not eating together. Uh, we don't want to associate with this. And so, uh, what's happening is they're creating division when a meal ought to be a symbol of unity. When people eat together, they eat together because they agree together. They're uh, associated together. They accept one another. Well, that wasn't happening in this congregation. Uh, the folks who had plenty were eating, and those who had nothing were over here uh, kind of eating later. It may be even that the slaves couldn't get there when the other folks were eating, and we did, they didn't wait on them. Turn also if you want to I'm going to read the last couple of verses Uh, I'll start in verse 29 Um, For he who eats and drinks Eats and drinks judgment to himself If he does not judge the body rightly For this reason many among you are weak and sick And a number sleep But if we judged ourselves rightly We would not be judged But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now then notice particularly. So then my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that uh, you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Note Let's go back a little bit and look at uh, verses 20 and 21. We really have two suppers in this context. Notice verse 21. (coughs) uh, Verse 20. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, they were coming together supposedly to eat the Lord's Supper. So there's a Lord's Supper involved in this. But notice what the next verse says. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper. So you've really got two suppers taking place. The Lord's Supper and their own Supper. And so these rich folks are eating by themselves. They're not including the the, the poor folks. Uh, And what that says is there's division here. When a meal ought to be, we're united. We agree. Uh, We're in fellowship with one another. And so, what he's going to say is simply that you are uh, uh, not—you're denying the very thing uh, that we should be promoting in the Lord's Supper. We might then ask, "Then why then does he go to verse twenty-three through twenty-eight and talk about the Lord's Supper?" It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor; you all need the death of Christ. It doesn't matter uh, where you stand in this. This Lord's Supper is a declaration that we are united, that the church is united. And what you're practicing denies the very thing you're doing when you come together to eat the Lord's Supper together. Now they may have been contaminating the Lord's Supper in terms of making a common meal out of it. But the real issue in this whole situation is that... uh, uh, they were promoting division. And that's the theme of this book, of 1 Corinthians, is this division uh, and God, Paul is wanting them to have uni- be united. Uh, as Dan pointed out last night with chapter 1 verse 10 and other verses in the scriptures. Now then, of course, the, our anti-brethren who believe it's wrong to eat in a building, they look at a couple of these verses. Verse 22, What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? And then verse 34, If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. In reality, when you just pull those two verses and talk about them, you're pulling things out of context. I know there are a lot of honest, sincere people among these anti-brethren. But the bottom line is, they aren't putting it in their context. I think it is interesting to note notice this statement in chapter 11, uh, verse 22. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God? There's the key thought. What were they doing? They were not defiling the building. They were despising the people. You've got poor folks over here who don't have much to eat. And you've got so much you're getting drunk. You are despising the people of God. It's, and, I, and, and I'll say this. As we deal with our anti-brethren, we need to deal with them fairly. They do not believe that the building is sacred. They do not believe that it's wrong even to eat in a building. Now, the issue really is money. And we're going to talk about that for the next, i got nine minutes. We're going to talk about some of these issues here. The real issue with these folks is not we're defiling the building. The issue should be, and to them is, what can you spend church money for? That's their problem. They believe that church money cannot be used for social activities. That's, their, that's really the bottom line for them. Uh, it's not so much as eating in the building, but it's uh, what can you use this money for? As we stop and study Scripture, I think we need to point out several truths about what church money can be uh, used for, what uh, the work of the church really is. Uh, first off, of course, uh, we find that the church's purpose is coming together for worship. So we're going to see that. So we can spend money for anything with regard to taking, uh, bringing about worship. The second thing, of course, is the church's responsibility is to go out and reach the lost. So we can spend money for anything related to uh, reaching out to the lost. The church is also involved in uh, edifying the saints. Anything that we can do that would edify the saints, we could take the money from the church treasury and edify and strengthen the saints. Uh, We can also see that the uh, church can also take money to help the poor in various ways. Now, we and the anti-brethren may differ over some of those things about it, but we stop and look at it, and I could give you scriptures for these things, but uh, the work of the church is to come together to worship God, preach the gospel to the lost, edify the saints, and help the poor. Now then, one of the uh, weaknesses of their position is that they say, you cannot take money uh, from the church treasury and buy food or have a kitchen or a fellowship hall. Because you are uh, taking money and using it in a social way. In and in a, in a, in a, in a, even if you look at it as a fellowship way. Well it is interesting if you want to flip back or just uh, listen to me as we look at Romans 15. In Romans 15 Paul had gathered up contribution from the congregations to take to Jerusalem uh, and notice what he says about this uh, in verses 26 and 27 for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem yes they were pleased to do so and they are indebted to them for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things they are indebted to minister to them also in spiritual things Notice this word shared. That's that word koinonia, fellowship. So money can be involved and used in fellowship situations. You see, their point is, well, you can't use money from the church treasury for anything that's going to be a physical, spirit, physical, uh, social, uh, social thing. Well, Paul says, and he used the very word fellowship. That's the Greek word and said, this money is going to be used in a fellowship way. And the other thing is this, can church buildings be used for edifying the brethren? Yeah. Uh, Bible classes. Well, can a meal together serve as an edification? Yeah. So in reality, you could go and look at the idea of, uh, of edification can we use money for edification? Is it social? Yeah, but it can also be edification. They, are, they hesitate to do these things because they, uh, it's what you'd call the social gospel. They try to promote the idea that if you convert somebody with a hamburger, you've got to keep him faithful by keep giving him hamburgers. Well, that's not necessarily true. Can't you? Uh, you can eat together. You may talk about spiritual things. If he obeys the gospel, that doesn't mean he didn't obey out of the right motive. That didn't mean he's not obeying because he ate a hamburger. You might turn this around on those folks and say, look, you got a beautiful building. What if somebody drives down here? Boy, that's a beautiful building. I'm going to start worshiping there. And they worship and they're converted. Well, they're converted because you got a beautiful building no that just maybe made the attraction and so uh, the social idea is not really a a valid point the other thing we can look at in this idea is this can church buildings be used for anything other than spiritual activities what do you call that area between the front door and the auditorium a lobby what goes on in the lobby is it spiritual things I'll almost guarantee you Sunday morning it's going to be about the Broncos. Uh, so, you know, what, what's, what's happening in that, in that area? It's not spiritual stuff. We go out there and visit. We talk about things in life. We talk about jobs. We talk about families. Well, if you can do that in that room, why can't you build a separate room and have, have the same thing go on? If it's right between the front door and the auditorium, it's right downstairs. You see, they're trying to argue that says nothing can happen in the church building except spiritual matters. That's just not true. Uh, They deny that themselves by their practice. There are several other things we could say, but let me me close with one more real illustration. And uh, I think this is really uh, neat. And I can say that because I didn't think it up. Uh, actually, I got it from a classmate. Uh, he and I were at Freed Hardeman. I should have said, "We were, tell him I went to Freed Hardeman rather than Abilene. Uh, but uh, I went to Freed Hardeman before it was four years. We had to go to Abilene to finish up. But this classmate has done a lot of work in this area of uh, eating and buildings and things like that. I'm not going to read these passages, but I'm going to mention them and uh, just show you the, the idea of it. Think about Jesus feeding the 5,000 people. That miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. Now let's, think, let's look at some ideas that come from that feeding the 4,000. 4, First off, in Luke 9, 11, right there in the beginning of the feeding of 5,000, Jesus preached to those folks. So spiritual matters taking place. Uh, second thing is the disciples said, look it's getting late, we need to send these folks home and let them buy foods and so they sent them away, wanted to send them away that they might go and buy some food third thing is Jesus uh, and his apostles had a treasury Uh, John 13, 29 and John 12 John 4, 8 and Jesus suggested let's well what if we buy the food for them so Jesus is simply saying how much would it cost for us to buy food for these folks now of course we understand Jesus did not do that he wound up multiplying the bread but here are the process they're dealing in a spiritual matter he's preaching there they are talking about how are we going to feed these folks Uh, The disciples said, let's send them away and let them buy. Jesus said, let us buy. Let us talk with them about those things. Let us uh, furnish what needs to be furnished. So now let's draw the conclusion. Here was Jesus dealing in a situation where he's preached a message and in that same area he feed he was willing to take the money of the churches of the apostles treasury to buy the food and then serve them there would it make it wrong if it was in a church building is it okay out in the open field but then it becomes sinful if it's inside a building So I think if you stop and look and study that example, it's a powerful example when you put together the facts of what Jesus was willing to do. He was willing to spend their money, buy food, to feed them a physical meal in the same place he taught them a spiritual lesson. And so therefore, it seems inconsistent to say that becomes wrong if it's in a church building. All right, that's my 20 minutes on that. I could say more, but I won't. Uh the next point we're going to look at is the one cup situation. Well, when let me go back. I There's I, one is one more thing I really want to, to to point out uh in chapter 11. I've already pointed it out uh in the fact that they were you are despising the church of God. That's verse 22. Look also at verse 29 uh, in verse 27 Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I think there he's telling us we've got to examine ourselves, we've got to remember the Lord's death, we've got to remember all those things. Why does he repeat it in verse 29? For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. The word body is a key word in the book of first corinthians it's used a number of different ways i believe verse 27 he's talking about the body of christ the literal body remembering the body verse 29 notice what he says for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly i think he's talking about the church what you're doing is dividing the church you're not judging the church rightly. The church should be united, and you're dividing it by these meals that you're serving. Not that it's wrong to eat in the building, it's just that you eat here, and the poor folks, if they get anything, they're over there. He said, You are not looking at the unity of the church, that the church should have unity in all things. You are promoting division. And that's the reason I said that he stops and talks about the Lord's Supper, when it says, it ought to be a matter of unity. Okay, I cheated the cup, folks, but uh, we'll give you 18 minutes of cup stuff. Uh, all right, the other point that I was assigned is about does this uh, lead to, the mean that we need to have one cup? This time I'm going to read, I want to read 1 uh, Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We stop and look at that. You've got uh, five times uh, in those six verses... uh, the cup Uh, does that mean that we should have just one cup of course we have brethren who believe that uh, the church should only have one cup one communion cup and and I'll say this lest I forget it later it's not sinful to have one cup it's sinful when you say that's the only way you can do it now that's the problem in that situation Uh, Matthew and Mark say about the same thing But they have it a little bit differently You'll see in those accounts where the Lord's Supper is instituted You'll have a cup, Matthew and Mark will say a cup Luke will say a cup, the cup, and this cup Uh, In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 uh, As as it is mentioned uh, He says, is not the cup of blessing Which we bless a sharing in the Lord so uh, does all of that the cup and a cup indicate we must use only one cup? Well first off let's just look at the text. Uh, what does the text say as we stop and think about this? Um, let's, let's look at uh, verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11. In the same way he took the cup, also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Can you drink a cup? Uh, But it would scratch going down. Uh, Then notice the next one. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. It's tough to drink a cup. So the language itself says, we're not talking about something literal. We're not talking about the cup. We're talking about what's in the cup. It is the figure of speech called metonymy. Metonymy simply means it's a noun put for something else. We use that all the time, even though we've probably never heard the word metonymy. We say, somebody says, my favorite dish is chicken. A dish is a plate. Uh, But you're you're saying, my favorite dish is chicken. So I use the word uh, uh, dish for uh, the chicken. I don't mean that plate's my favorite plate. Somebody will say, you know, on the way to the building this morning, my radiator boiled over. Did your radiator really boil over? Or was it the water in the radiator? Those are metonymy. You put one thing for another. We use it all the time. Notice also, uh, let's go to Luke 22 uh, and, and we'll see uh, an interesting thought that is expressed. In Luke 22, <coughs> uh, in, even in, in verse 17, i I'll tell you what, dude, let me read, uh, I'll even begin reading in verse 14. When the hour had come, he, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. First off, he took a cup, and I want you to share it. Okay, the only way you can do that is break it up, and you get a part of it, and you get a part of it, you get a part of it. Uh, In fact, the King James says, Divide it. Well, how do you divide a cup? Well, the only way I know is you break it up and you pass it around. He wasn't talking about a cup. He's talking about what's in the cup. You can share what's in a cup, but you can't share a cup unless you break it up. Then verse 18, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes and when he had taken some bread and given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this and remember to me and in the same way he took the cup and after they had eaten saying this cup which which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood All right. here notice what we have here take this cup and share it now he's not talking about a cup take this liquid and share it And then he gives them the bread, and then he comes back and talks about and deals with the cup. Where were they holding that liquid while they're eating that bread? Had they drunk it, and were they then? Where are they holding it in their mouth? Uh, Because they have. He told them to divide the cup among yourself right here. Then he went to the bread. Then he came down and made. Uh, an explanation of what the cup is and what the fruit of the vine is. History tells us, uh, Edersheim mentions it, and uh, some other rabbis mention it, that in the time of the Passover, every person at the Passover had individual cups. They were about two or three ounces uh, size. And so uh, when Jesus took this cup and passed it around to them, they were dividing it among themselves when they were poured in their individual cup. And then when he comes back and talks about the Lord's Supper and the blood and what it symbolizes, they drink their individual cup. In reality, they had individual cups before they had the one cup. So think about that passage. Let me go back to another thought here for a moment. um, And let's look at... uh, uh, if, in those verses that I read in 1 Corinthians and also in the gospel accounts uh, they put a great deal of emphasis on the cup and a cup and this cup and so on the Greek word is ek out of and uh, that verse, that word appears every time you see that word of or out of Now their view is this, you have to drink out of that cup. Is that the only way that a person can drink from a cup is put his lips on that cup? Would you be drinking out of that cup if you drank out of it from a straw? Now you're still drinking out of it go to John 4 verse 12 and we'll see the idea of uh, the word ek Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman uh, and she asked him about this well uh, and uh, notice what she said uh, I'll say it started in 11 she said to him sir you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then did you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Of it himself, that's that Greek word ek. Jacob and his children drank out of that well. Ek. Did they put their lips on the edge of that well and get water out of it? No. And they reached down in there with a bucket and they drew that water up. The point is, they try to make a big issue of the word ek out of, but you can drink out of something without putting your lips on that cup. And that's what happened there in that situation is that they, uh, they simply drew water out of this well and drank of it and, and yet it was said they drank out of the well. Well, we can drink out of the cup without without having one cup. When we pour that water of the grape juice, uh, fruit of the vine into these individual cups, what are we doing? We're drinking out of it. Of course, the emphasis is not on the cup. Now, they try to make an argument that says the cup represents the covenant. And the fruit of the vine in the cup represents the blood. But they don't read the text carefully. It is the blood of the covenant. It's all one thing. It is the blood of Christ that gave them that covenant, uh, that it gave us that covenant. And uh, it's not, uh, it's not three, two different messages in that fruit of the vine. There's simply one message in that fruit of the vine another situation, well, I'll give you another example go to 1, John, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 in this context uh, he talks about Jesus being that angel that led the children of Israel uh, out of Egypt and into the wilderness and of course you know from time to time they did not have water uh, and uh, uh, God would give them water uh, and on this particular situation, it uh, came out of a rock. But notice what is said. Uh, when, and I'm going to begin reading in verse one of Acts of First Corinthians ten. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Now that is true, a spiritual drinking there but at that t- situation it was water coming forth out of the rock. Did they all go up there and put their lips there as, they, as the water came out of the rock? No. No doubt everyone came in with his buckets and brought his water this way. So my point is this again. With that word ek, it does not have to mean one cup. One in the scriptures doesn't always mean one. Now that sounds strange, but one doesn't always mean one. Uh, let me see if I can give you this one. I think John 10. John uh, <clears> 10. <throat> uh, Well, wait a minute. I may be wrong. I didn't even jot it down. Let me think a minute about this uh, uh, let me let me just tell you where it is, and some of you brethren speak up and tell me where it is. I, I'd have to stop and look at it for a minute. You know, Jesus said, the man who would give a cup a cup of cold water would not lose his reward. What if he gave him two cups of cold water? Does he lose his reward? Give him one, but you see that one doesn't he's not speaking literally. You don't have to have just one cup. You could have more than one. Look at another. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. And uh, in this situation, Paul is, in, uh, is writing the book of 1 Corinthians uh, to the church in uh, Corinth. He is in Ephesus as he's writing this. And notice what he says uh, in verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Notice what he says. Is not the cup of blessing? Where was Paul? He's in Ephesus. Where is he writing and talking to these folks about? Corinth, several hundred miles away. But he identifies it as the cup of Did they have just one cup that they passed from Ephesus to Corinth? No. The one cup simply says, this is what we are, that's what Jesus instituted. It represents the blood of Christ. It's not one one particular cup. He was not talking about a physical cup, He's talking about the message of that cup. And every Sunday, every Lord's day, God's faithful people all over the world drink out of that one cup. We don't drink out of the same bottle. We don't drink out of the same physical cup. But we, but that one cup is represented and uh, represents the blood of Christ. Last point I'll make here is this. When you go to Matthew 26 and let's see the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus... Uh, Instituted as we understand Let me read verses uh, 26 down through 29 While they were eating Jesus took some bread And after a blessing he broke it And gave it to the disciples and said Take, eat This is my body And when he had taken a cup And given thanks he gave it to them saying Drink from it all of you For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins but I say to you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom as you read those in Jesus Institute of the Lord's Supper what was the command eat drink when we drink from individual cups Have we obeyed the command? Yeah The command is related to Drinking that fruit of the vine and when, and when we have done what God has said Whether we drink out of a straw Whether we drink out of one bottle Whether we drink out of many cups The command is drink And that's what we've done There are a number of other things we could say about these folks uh, and their beliefs. Uh, We might even stop and think about it this way with regard to these folks. If you have the table there and you have a bottle of the fruit of the vine and you have a cup that you're going to serve the folks with and you offer thanks for it, are you offering thanks for the bottle or for the cup or for what's in the cup? Or are you offering thanks for both? You see, uh, it's the fruit of the vine and the command is to drink. When we have drunk, we have fulfilled what the command that God wants us to, to, to uh, obey Is we drink that fruit of the vine. You know, you might also ask those folks as we get ready to ask them, would it be alright to have a glass instead of a cup? Uh, Would it be all right if the cup has a handle or doesn't have to have a handle? You know, there are all kinds of these little issues that could be asked to try to help them see the cup is not really what Jesus is talking about in all of this. It's simply metonymy that says it stands for that which is in the uh, in the cup. A lot more could be said about these folks and their views and all, but maybe these thoughts might help us as we strive to deal with these people. Many of these are good, honest people who just have not been taught these things and haven't realized the applications of them. And maybe we'll have an opportunity to deal both with the One Cup brethren and our anti-kitchen fellowship folks and maybe have a chance to change their minds. Thank you for listening so well.